The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Lord, we come now to your word, and again we ask for help from your spirit. Help to see, help to be comforted, help to be convicted, help to be changed. Lord, we need you, so come by your spirit, make much of yourself among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this doesn't count towards my sermon time, but I feel like we ought to uh, give a round of applause for Sam and Lori and Esri Jean. So let's give a round of applause for them. We, we acknowledge life here because it's, it's, it's such a culture of death around us, and we want to acknowledge that these are, every single one is a gift from the Lord, a blessing from the Lord, not just a decision or an inconvenience. And so we praise God for this little one and hope that you'll begin to pray for her, that she would come to know Jesus. Well, today we start our Advent series. And if you're uh, here as a visitor, maybe you're not normally at church and a friend invited you, Advent just means the anticipated arrival of something Important. That's what Advent means, the anticipated arrival of something important. Advent here at Bethlehem is where we take four weeks leading up to Christmas time and remember what it was like for the people of God to wait for the first coming of Jesus. And we do that because we hope it stirs up in us a fresh, eager expectation of waiting for His second coming. And if you're like me, and not as many of you are as passionate as I am about Thanksgiving, I find, Thanksgiving is always a good warm-up for me for Advent. So let me tell you what I mean. I anticipate the Thanksgiving meal like no other meal in the year. I'm a little obsessed with it. I'm a little weird about it. I fast for it, and then I enjoy it. Our first sermon today in the series from Acts ends with the story of the resurrection. And so it was fitting this year that I thought Thanksgiving meal was dead for one night. Right? Like, I mean, it was actually hard. One of my kids and I, I won't reveal their name, were just mourning together at bedtime one night because we thought, oh no, Thanksgiving has died. But then it was resurrected. As my mom came through and offered to make the food for us and deliver it. And if you're thinking, well, you could have at least gone and got it, you forgot that I'm fasting and I'm weak at that point. And so I needed to have it brought to me. And later on, we did our normal Zoom call and she got her standing ovation that she gets every year for a job well done. And I bring this up because that really is that longing That expectation of this glorious moment, this glorious feasting, really is what Advent is like. Right? We live in a a weary world where we have to remind ourselves that our Savior is alive. He's coming soon. And one day we will feast with Him at the wedding supper of the Lamb in His presence where there will be no more pandemics to cancel that feast. This year... I'm excited. We're going to stay right in the book of Acts. And what we're going to see is 
Advent fulfilled. In other words, what we're going to see is what it looked like when the Savior that they had been waiting for for thousands and thousands of years actually showed up. Jesus came as the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament. We're going to go back to some of those Old Testament texts today and begin to connect the dots. Jesus lived the perfect life of obedience to God that we could never live. He died the death for sin that we deserve to die. Then He rose again, He ascended, and He is reigning over all things today at His Father's side. And what we're going to do this Advent season is take a peek into the people of God, the first sermon, some of their first fellowships, some of the first miracles that happened. We're going to take a peek in and see what was it like when Jesus came and fulfilled all that they had been waiting for among His people Kids, if you're like me, you know what it's like to wait during the Christmas season. My kids are already anticipating, right, the the presents that are coming. And as we anticipate the presents, we anticipate that moment, kind of the whole world lights up around us, right? There's lights behind me right now, and this is what happens everywhere. It lights up around us to remind us of the season we're in. And that's what I'm hoping this Advent series does for us and does for you kids. I hope you see how good Jesus is and that you can trust Him completely and that our worship services light up around us to remind us that the thing we look forward to most, yes, even more than that present you've wanted all year, is that one day we will be with Jesus. And I don't care if you're 5 or 95. I hope at the end of the season you think that's what I want most. That's what I'm looking forward to most. We need sure hope. Don't we need sure hope in this time we're living in? We need sure hope. We are living in a hopeless world. Or at least a world that doesn't have anything firm enough to actually support the hope we put in it. So one thing that my kids are always doing is they're always making these, these grand creations with construction paper and tape. Right, so they're always creating these things, these things that I couldn't ever imagine doing with construction paper and tape. But what it made me think of this week is, can you imagine if instead of the chairs you're sitting on right now, I brought in a bunch of construction paper chairs cobbled together with tape and had you sit down in them. Now, my kids do amazing things, but I'm not sitting in one of those chairs. Right? I'm not going to trust it. It'd be pretty silly to watch us all try to sit on those and just see if they support us, if they work. And yet, that's all the world is able to do And that's what a lot of you are doing right now. That's what a lot of us are doing right now. We are desperately seeking places to put our hope. We are desperately seeking somewhere steady and sure to sit down. And as that happens, people are growing weary because every place we try to put our hope besides Jesus just keeps collapsing beneath us, like a seat made out of construction paper and tape. And every time we fall to the ground, here's here's the craziness of the cycle we're in right now. Every time we fall to the ground, we act surprised. I can't believe that didn't support me. 
can't believe it didn't live up to all the hope I was putting into it. And instead of saying, maybe I need a new place to sit, we go, I'm angry and I'm anxious at the chair. Or the person who made the chair. And we just keep sitting there and getting more anxious and more angry. But what if we just need to find a new place to sit? What if we just need a new place to trust? A new place to hope? A place that can actually bear all the weight that we need it to. And there is a place that is a person. And His name is Jesus. He is the only answer for a hopeless, weary world. For your hopeless, weary heart. He is the only one that can hold us up in this broken world. Now I hate to break the news to you, but every generation and every place has had something happen in their lifetimes that made them think the world was going to end. Some of you are wondering right now, who knows? It it could come soon. No one knows the day or the hour, but from the first century to now, people have been guessing it's coming soon. Stuff has been breaking and breaking very badly since Adam and Eve sinned and broke fellowship with God. So I don't have any hope that in this 2021, everything is just going to be hunky-dory. Everything is just going to be kumbaya singing. We're all going to be happy. No more cares. But here's what I'm asking us to do for the next month. Would you take your eyes off of everything out there for me? With me. I need to do it too. Just for a month, would you fix them with me on Jesus Are you frustrated with the pandemic? Are you frustrated with politics? Are you frustrated with policies? Are you frustrated with pastors? And the way we're handling the pandemic in policies. Have you been let down? Are you restless? Are you weary? Here's what we can do for the next month. We can look at Jesus together. And my promise to you is He won't let you down. He has never let you down and He will not let you down. Where policies and politicians and pandemics and pastors completely let you down, He will never let you down. So let's fix our eyes on Him for the next month and find a sturdy place to sit. So point number one, verse 22, the plan and power of God in the life of Jesus. Read verse 22 with me. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So two weeks ago we saw the Spirit poured out as Jesus promised it would be. Last week Chris Bruno did a great job of showing us how the mission of God by the Spirit of God through the people of God runs throughout the whole Bible, predicted, planned, accomplished throughout the whole Bible. Peter stands up to explain how this is part of God's plan. And then here in verses 22 to 32, here's the main thing Peter is doing. Peter wants to show them that although they rejected Jesus and called him an imposter, Jesus was accepted by God and proven to be the Son of God. So they rejected him, they said he was an imposter. But God says, I'm accepting him, and he is the authorized, proven Son of God. And in verse 22, 
Peter begins by reminding them of the mighty works that Jesus did while he was among them. The mighty preaching, the mighty healings, the mighty miracles. And he says, don't you see that God was trying to show you that this was indeed the Son of God? Now if we go back to Isaiah 61, which is a prophecy of the suffering servant that would come to save the people of God, we can see that this was God's plan all along and would be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. So listen to Isaiah 61.1. So the suffering servant who's going to come and save the people of God. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, one of my favorite scenes in the Bible is in Luke 4. Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he reads this text from Isaiah 61, right? And then he just kind of rolls up the scroll. It's like his mic drop moment. Right? This is me. This is about me. I'm the one that has the Spirit upon me to do this. And then you read through the rest of Luke 4. So Jesus stands up and says, This is me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do all these things. And the rest of Luke 4 is Jesus preaching and healing and delivering from demonic power by the power of the Spirit. It's the point of Luke 4. And this is what Peter is saying. You saw Jesus when He was here. You saw the preaching, the healing, the deliverances. Why do you think that happened? To show you He was the promised Messiah with the Holy Spirit upon Him to perform the work of God. Yet they had missed Him. Right? They, they stuck around when the cool things were happening. Right? They, they got the popcorn for kind of the exciting uh, premiere of the movie when he was healing and he was feeding. But then they left when he said hard words. Here was the only one who could fulfill all their hopes. Think about this. Your people has been waiting and hoping for someone for thousands of years. He shows up and you miss him. Like, not like you heard about him, but you saw him. He did the miracles. You, you heard him preach and you missed him. And here's been my prayer for us, that we wouldn't miss Jesus and all that he continues to do among us in this season. Right? Remember, Acts 1.1. Acts is about all that Jesus continued to do and teach. He didn't just do it back then. He's doing it now. I pray that we would see all Jesus continues to do and teach by the power of the Spirit through His blood-bought people and stand back in awe. What do I mean? Well, kids, think about this with me. Why are you here this morning? Why are you watching at home? Do your parents trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? That's a miracle. We should stand in awe. Are we forgiven for our sins? That's a miracle. We should stand in awe. 
Are we sons and daughters of the King, adopted into His family fully, freely, and forever? That's a miracle. We should stand in awe. Are we in Minnesota, at the ends of the earth, believing in Jesus, celebrating Advent, filled with the Spirit to go out and make much of Jesus? It's a miracle. Jesus continues to do and to teach He's still doing miracles. Are your eyes open to see it? Is your heart open to receive it? To be a part of it? To walk forward in mission? Or will we be so distracted that we forget Him in our mission amid the craziness of 2020? None of you would say that you're putting Jesus aside for other things. But I just, wanna, I just don't want to play those games with you. Wouldn't Satan like it if you were even 2% distracted? from the mission. 3% distracted. 5% distracted. 1% distracted. Has the mission of God changed? Is Jesus still doing and teaching and working? Let's not take our eyes off of Him for even one second. Point number two. The plan and power of God in the death of Jesus. Look at verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. One thing the Jews could not wrap their minds around was a crucified king. What they wanted was a powerful king to conquer Rome more than they wanted a crucified king to conquer their sins. Jesus had looked like a a failure to them. It's the bottom line. He He had died. And Peter is saying here, amazingly, God was clearly showing that this Jesus was the Son of God come to save you from your sins, and you killed Him and carried out God's plan. You killed Him, and God did His purposes through you. But before we're too hard on them, I just want us to remember that we all crucified Jesus. Don't want us to step back and be removed like, man, if I was there... I would have been stepping in between him and the cross. It was our sin that put him on the cross. I said earlier that everything has been badly broken since Genesis 3, since Adam and Eve. And just think about this for a moment. I was just struck by this as I was thinking about these texts in Isaiah. There is nothing more broken than a world killing its creator or a sinful people killing its Savior. That is so much more deeply broken than anything we're seeing today. There is nothing more broken than that. But we all did it. Here's what Isaiah 53, 6 says. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, every single one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus, on him, the iniquity of us all. If you can imagine why Peter is doing this, right? In our favorite stories, the hero always wins. The good guy always wins. But what if after a long story and a long wait, there was a great battle and the hero died? That would be an awful story. We would want our money back. We wouldn't, we'd say, we don't like that story. We don't want to do that. But what if you had talked to a friend before you finished the story 
And they told you the part where the hero dies was part of the plan all along. That's the only way that story is redeemed, and that would give you hope. And Peter is saying exactly that. The death of Jesus was always part of the plan of God. Yes, they killed him. We killed him. But he says God planned it beforehand. It was definite. It was certainly going to happen. Why did it have to happen? Well, we already heard we have all sinned. And Jesus had to take our sins. And then in verse 10 of that same chapter in Isaiah 53, the same suffering servant we saw in Isaiah 61, here's what it says about who planned his death. Isaiah 53, 10. It says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The, the word for will there is pleasure. It was the pleasure of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Whose idea was it? It was the Father's idea to crush him. It was the Father's pleasure to crush him. Why? So that he could be an offering for the guilt of our sins. Peter is saying, you look at Jesus and see his death as rejection. But God sees the death of His Son and sees it as acceptance, validation. In fact, it is one of the reasons the Father loves the Son most. Hear the words of Jesus in John 10.17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. You see His death as rejection. God sees His death as validation. The Father loves the Son, takes pleasure in crushing Him because of their agreement before the foundation of the world that Jesus would be crushed to save people from their sins and not just that, but be brought into the kingdom, filled with the Spirit to see the glory of God and then worship for all of eternity, giving God the glory He's due. That's why it was His pleasure to crush His Son. That's what Advent's about. South family... Let's not be those who think that the difficult sufferings that seem like they're going the wrong way mean God's rejection. Let's not be those that forget God is working all things according to His plan, even pain, even pandemics. Let's not be those that forget that God is always for our good, for our salvation and our fullest joy, even in the bleakest and weakest circumstances. God has not lost control. If <laughs> He... He was in control of this. He hasn't lost control of anything else. Point number three, the plan and power of God in the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse 24 with me. Here Peter means to show them that even the resurrection was inevitable by God's plan and power. Here's what it says, verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it they crucified him but God raised him up I just love this phrase I just gloried over it this week it was not possible for the king of kings to be held by death never in question Never a chance. It was not possible. This is not like one of those movies or stories or one of those sitcoms you watch where you don't know how it's going to end. Like sometimes your favorite character really does get killed off. 
It was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. The image of pangs here is normally associated with childbirth. The picture Peter is giving is that death could not hold Jesus any more than a womb can hold a baby. It was inevitable. It was the end of the process. Although it seemed bleak, it was never possible that Jesus would stay dead. I hope that gives you confidence today. It was never possible. It was never up for grabs. Your salvation was never up for grabs. He would have you before the foundation of the world. He will hold you. That was as certain as his resurrection. Your eternal life now and forever is as certain as his raised up life then and forever. Yeah, that's okay. That's worth wooing about. I don't know who wooed. So then what does Peter do? He's just going to keep building the confidence Peter quotes Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11, in verses 25 to 28 to prove his point. So let me summarize that. In Psalm 16, David says that his heart is glad. His whole body dwells secure. Why? Because he says, My God will not abandon my soul to Hades or let my flesh see corruption. Rather, in death, I will follow the path of life into the eternal presence of God. Well, Jesus had opened these apostles' minds to understand the Scripture. Peter apparently had been doing a lot of meditating as you read his sermons. He's doing a lot of things with the Bible I feel like I would have missed. But here's what he says in verse 29 after he's meditated and he's thought, or maybe Jesus has told him. Verse 29 he says, Brothers, I may say to you that with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So Peter's saying, guys, Psalm 16 isn't actually about David. That's the point. David died. David was buried. David is still buried. His body is corrupted. In fact, we could go and we could visit his gravesite in Jerusalem. It was still there in their day. So if this Psalm of David could not be fulfilled by David, then who is it about? Look at verses 30 to 31. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. David knew that God had promised him a son that would sit on the throne forever. This is where the idea of kingdom shows up again here. Jesus is the son of David and the son of God who is the promised king of the kingdom of God forever. Psalm 16 is just keeping the promise of the kingdom. So let's hear that promise of the kingdom. We recited some of it earlier, but here's 2 Samuel 7, 11-14. So you can hear what David was thinking about as he wrote this psalm. 2 Samuel 7, 11 14. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And listen to this line I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Jesus is the Son of David and the Son of God. And this promise of the resurrection from Psalm 16 came true to to show that God was keeping His promise of an eternal kingdom 
from 2 Samuel 7. And Peter is preaching this sermon to give us confidence that God's plans cannot be stopped because of God's power. That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't you see? This was all part of the plan. It was right there in the Scriptures you say you know so well. He was right in front of you. Jesus is alive. He's King. And in Him we have abundant life and will dwell in His kingdom forever. The eternal Thanksgiving feast is not canceled. We will feast with our King forever. Just the sheer writings of the Bible across thousands of years ought to build your confidence. Right? Where have we been? Psalm 16, 2 Samuel 7, Acts 2. It all is telling the same story. Our God keeps His promises and His plans by His power. Kids, I want to talk to you. If you're like my kids, I'm sure you've heard a lot about who will be president in these days. If you're like my kids, maybe you've even been worried about it a little bit, wondering who's going to win, asking me where all the, the stats are at. And that's okay. It's a very important position. President's a very important position. We should pray. We should care. But I want to say something to you kids who feel the uncertainty more than you let us in on. You do. Because Jesus is alive, it means if you trust in Him that He is your King of kings forever and ever. It means that no one can ever have more power than Him. It means that He is in control of everything. It means that no matter who is the president of our country, we are citizens of the kingdom of God that will never end. Jesus is our King, and that means you can put your head on the pillow every night and dwell secure. If you love Jesus, He loves you, and He's always with you, and He has all the power. Church, the resurrection was always God's plan. Always God's plan. God's plan was happening when Jesus was here on the earth doing amazing things. God's plan was happening when Jesus suffered and died on the cross. God's plan was happening when he did not stay dead but rose up again to show that he is the Savior who takes away our sins if we trust him. And he is the King who rules over all the earth. This leads us to our application. Hopeful waiting witnesses. This is what Acts and Advent and all of life is all about, for us at least. The people of God who trust in the death and resurrection of Christ and are given power to live for His glory while they wait for Him to return. That's what Acts and Advent and all of life is all about. A people empowered as citizens of the kingdom to enjoy the King, to bow to the King, and to tell other people about the King until we're with Him forever. God has given all authority to His Son, King Jesus, and Jesus promises to be with us always while we go and make much of His name. So look at verse 32. This Jesus, God raised up. Praise God. And of that, we all are witnesses. Peter is saying to the crowd, we've seen this. If you're honest, You've seen it and you can't deny it. Or at least you know a a friend who has seen it. Right? Remember, Jesus was there 40 days showing them by many proofs that He was alive. 
Remember in 1 Peter how much Peter hoped in the resurrection, how it identified us as a people born again to a living hope. And Peter is confirming for them that this is not some early day drinking that is happening, a filling with wine. Rather, this is a filling of the Holy Spirit that is marking a new age where all the people of God will have the Holy Spirit and make much of Jesus. He is saying what you are witnessing now is the resurrection power of Christ filling His people. Do you know that you are filled with the resurrection power of Christ by the Holy Spirit today? Death has no hold on you today, tomorrow, or ever. Which means fear and suffering have no hold on your hearts today or tomorrow or forever. God's plan marches on to make much of His Son by the power of His Spirit so that many will be saved and come to know Him. Our mission continues. Now we talked in the beginning of the sermon about how our world is hopeless and weary. We talked about how even we have been tempted to place our hope on the things that can't hold the weight of it, like a construction paper chair with tape all cobbled together. The resurrection gives us the sure hope of God's plan and power. That's what it does. God's plan marches along by God's power. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can thwart him. That sure hope is our sturdy place of rest. And if you try to put your hope anywhere else, you will fall. And you will grow weary. The Son of David, who is Jesus, is also the Son of God. He came and lived a powerful and perfect life according to God's plan. He died the death we deserve to die for sin according to God's plan. He raised up to conquer death according to God's plan. He lived as the King of kings, and He lives as the King of kings forever and ever according to God's plan. And the Spirit was poured out on a people according to God's plan. What does that mean for us? It means that we too have died to sin with Christ. We've been forgiven. His sacrifice is enough. We've been brought into the kingdom of God as the blood-bought family of God. We've been raised with Christ. We have eternal life with Him now and we'll never die. We'll reign forever with Him in His eternal kingdom. In fact, I would argue that now in Christ, Psalm 16 is true of us. As sons and daughters of God, our souls can be glad and our whole beings can rejoice because God will not abandon our souls to Sheol or let our flesh see corruption. He has made known to us the path of life. In His presence there is fullness of joy and at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's what's coming. That's what we're waiting for. This is our confidence this Advent season. The plans and power of God fulfilled in the name of Jesus. And so I've been praying in this moment, that you would find fresh hope that His plans are never thwarted. That His purposes are never stopped. Our King is alive and well. Death could not hold Him. Fix your eyes on Him and have hope. Just please take your eyes off of the other things. Just stop. And fix them on what's sure and steady. You don't need more uncertain messages in your life. You need Jesus. Sure, steady messages. Right? He's given us like a whole book 
Go to that thing and mine it and live there this month and turn it all off. And as you do, He will meet you. He will meet you. Do you think He doesn't want to meet you and give you hope? Do you think He he came and died to just leave you here weary and full of fear and Now, it's okay if you're weary and full of fear. I'm just saying, bring it to Jesus. Walk with Him in it. And as you go to Him, let that fresh hope turn your weariness into eager waiting. He's coming. He's coming soon. Jesus came once according to God's plan. Jesus will come again according to God's plan. And we can wait with hope no matter the circumstances because our King is alive. Would you fix your eyes on him? Would you let your hope rise and your weariness fall? Rest, church. Rest. Breathe. Trust him. And then wait. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Strength will not rise as you hit refresh on election results. Strength will not rise as you follow the three times a day news cycle. Strength will not rise as you wonder when can we be done with these masks. Strength will not rise. Strength rises as we wait upon the Lord. Rest, breathe, trust, wait. And then you'll be ready to tell someone else about the hope you have within you this Advent season. Because you'll have it. You'll experience it. You'll have been with Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.